What did Romans know of their Western subjects, and how did they claim to know it? Pliny the Elder, in the short account of Africa that makes up the first thirty chapters of Book Five of his Natural History, offers a convenient starting illustration of the texture of ethnographic writing on the Roman West. This is how he begins. Africa, the Greeks called Libya, and the sea before it, the Libyan Sea. Its limit is Egypt, and no other part of the world offers fewer harbors, since the coastline extends from the west in a long curve. The names of its peoples and its towns are mostly impossible to pronounce, except by the natives who live almost entirely in fortresses. Africa, in the middle of the first century CE, is presented as remote, difficult either to penetrate or comprehend, and its knowledge begins with the Greeks. Africa remains as unfamiliar as ever. Indeed, it is in some ways more ungraspable and fabulous for Pliny than for some of his predecessors. I shall return to the apparently irreducible alterite of the West in chapter 4. Yet despite these apparent obstacles to comprehension, Pliny has in fact quite a lot to say. As the book proceeds, we are introduced to the two Mauritanias, their legendary foundation by the giant Antaeus and his combat with Hercules deftly interwoven with more recent imperial interventions, Caius's reduction of client kingdoms into provinces, the civic foundations of Claudius and Augustus. When Pliny's account reaches the river Lyxus, he expands on the gardens of the Hesperides. No golden apples now, just some wild olives, and the story of the serpent was perhaps based on a serpent-shaped river channel, and then a sideswipe at Cornelius Nepos for believing all the Greek lies about the region. Details of Roman colonies lead Pliny to the desert, herds of elephants, and the great mountain of Africa also known as the most fabulous atlas. The rugged west-facing crags, the wooded eastern approaches, its abundant springs and fruit, and its eerie daytime silence that at dusk is replaced by the sounds of dancing pans and satyrs, is indeed most fabulous. Pliny is less critical here than he was of Nepos. These things famous authors have reported alongside the deeds performed there by Hercules and Perseus. An immense and unexplored territory separates it from us. From the Atlas, Pliny turns to the coast, chapter 8, citing the commentaries of Hanno the Carthaginian, followed by most Greek and Latin authors, and then going on to the explorations conducted by Polybius in a fleet provided by Scipio Aemilianus. I shall return to this expedition and others like it in chapter 3. A long coastal periplus follows, punctuated with comments on the animals found in each region. Pliny then turns to the first Roman military expedition into Mauritania during the reign of Claudius, an expedition that did reach the Atlas. Not only did senatorial generals campaign there, but Roman knights now govern the territory. There are, as I have said, five colonies in this province, and it might seem therefore an area on which it would be easy to gain reliable information. But this, and much else, turns out upon examination to be completely false. For those of high status who cannot be bothered to hunt out the truth do not wish to seem ignorant and so tell lies. Nothing is so misleading as when an author of repute endorses a false statement. Pliny again has bad witnesses in his sights, senators corrupted by luxury this time, and corrects them on the basis of local testimony. Then follows, chapter 14, a summary of the report of Suetonius Paulinus, first to cross the Atlas at the head of an army, detailing the unfamiliar flora of the region, the barren desert beyond it, more elephants, and a barbarian tribe, the Canary, who eat raw flesh like dogs. 
Next, King Juba, more famous for his research than for his rule, is cited, again on the peoples and plants of the Atlas. Then, chapter 17, Pliny passes on to the tribes of Mauritania Tingitana, in which the location of various rivers and mountains is interspersed with historical references, some to the period of the Jugurthine War, others to Augustan and later foundations. The accounts of Numidia and Zugitana are very similar, and Pliny seems a little bored. The land had no interest except as a source of Numidian marble and wild beasts. Both commodities were, of course, of vital interest to the generation that watched the Colosseum rise in the park of what had once been Nero's palace. Once again, a few places are picked out for their historical interest. Utica is famous for the death of Cato. The colony of Great Carthage lies on the ruins of the Punic city. The boundary of Africa Nova and Africa Vetera is a ditch marking the limit agreed between Scipio Africanus and the kings.